Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I am your host, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest, Mr. Chris Simonka. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, doing good. A pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, and uh, thank you so much for being on here. I know uh, for your listeners out there, it's been a while, but I think... I think it'll be worthwhile the break that we had uh, this last month, just because we're gonna we're gonna really hit home base today. We're gonna talk about something that um, probably a lot of you guys have gone through or, or are currently experiencing, and hopefully, uh, obviously by guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, Chris and I can kind of shine some light on on certain issues and how to how to approach those. But um, Chris, before we get started uh, in this episode, uh, for those for those out for those people out there who do not know you. Uh, why don't you just, uh, you know, provide a short little introduction, talk about yourself, where you're from, uh, where you're involved in with ministry, uh, any of that, anything that comes to mind. Sure, absolutely. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was born in Arlington Heights, Chicago. Um, in 1984, my parents and extended family moved down to Atlanta, um, and we were part of the church plant, the first Romanian or Eastern European uh, Protestant church plant in Atlanta, uh, First Romanian Baptist Church of Atlanta. And that's currently where I attend and I currently serve. Um, <clears throat> now for me, I am a Romanian American, so second generation. So um, in light of the topic at hand, I've kind of had this struggle um, with being in the First Romanian Baptist type of context and in the American context. So I kind of went on this journey like a lot of people have um, probably at least a lot of people that I know they've gone in and out, uh, maybe been through some frustrations. Um, but I ended up back at the church, um, in Atlanta and, um, I have two daughters and one sweet wife, a lovely wife who is, I know you're Pentecostal in denomination, right? The church I attend. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the church, you're, well, mine is Baptist and I happen to marry a Pentecostal. So we're Baptecostals. Um, a family, uh, I guess, diverse in that way. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm from. Perfect. And before you guys start judging me based off my, my comment over there, uh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. And yes, you know, I would consider myself a Pentecostal, but I'm very friendly with the Baptists as well. As We all serve the same God and the same Christ. And, uh, you know, everything that happens here on this earth, any manifestation, any, uh, you know, word from the Holy Spirit, as we call or sign, is uh, basically submitted to God's word first, just because that's concrete and that's infallible. We as people, unfortunately, uh, while we are still in these unglorified states, unglorified bodies, we are fallible, but God's word is infallible, and that's kind of the basis of of uh, the little joke I made over there. But Chris, thank you for that. Um, it's going to be interesting just because we do have similarities and maybe a few differences within um, our cultures and, and where we grew up. But I think um, at least for the, the bigger problems, uh, it's going to be relatively similar because um, our families all migrated from the same country under the same uh, cultural context, under the same political system. And they came here and they had the same, everyone had the same freedoms, whether it was in Atlanta or Southern California or different parts of the country, and they established and grew their churches, and now, 30 years later, we're starting to see um, certain 
I guess maybe divisions or talking points um, as, as we, uh, you know, we have the younger generation rising up. But before, as I, I totally forgot, it's been a while, uh, but I do want to make just like quick 30 second of announcement. Sorry, guys. But as you guys know, uh, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram account at the Potter's House for the first time listeners. Also, uh, you can find us on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify for the most popular streaming platforms. And if you have any of the two, please leave a five star rating. Um, it really helps with the exposure of the show. And if you do have an iPhone, uh, please go. You can also go on the podcast app and leave a written review. If you do, I'll read it on the show. I appreciate all you guys who have done it this far, but that's also an option for those of you who are new here or if you haven't heard it before. So uh, that's that. Now back to the back to the topic. Um, so, Chris, as we get started over here, um, obviously there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of specific things we want to tackle, but... Um, I think the as you mentioned, the best way to kind of start this conversation is to talk about what a church is and what a church should be and what direction uh, the church should take. Uh, because we can have certain nuances between denominations and cultural backgrounds, um, but at the end of the day, the the script has to be the same on what the church is. Uh, the church that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, where he says, "I will build." Uh, my church on this on this rock, and obviously, as that rock is the confession that Peter made, uh, that he is the Messiah, he's the Son of God. Um, but as far as you know, ecclesiology goes, the the study of the church, um, what should it look like, both foundationally, directionally? What should the modern church look like? Well, I'll take an angle on that, and that is that when we think about um, the church. Um, it brings together people. It, it galvanizes people. Um, generally, we as humans will be uh, attracted to what they call, I guess, an affinity group, which means that um, you'll feel most comfortable in a place or in a group where uh, people have the same cultural characteristics, maybe the same habits, routines, um, and cultural elements and components. So I, the reason I think this is an important question is we have to ask ourselves, what do we exist as? How are we functioning? In other words, are we functioning as a church, which I would, for the sake of all the things that the church can be and should be, the, the thing that in my heart sticks out is that it should be um, galvanized around the lordship of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So in assessing our uh, communities, we should ask, well, are we... So are we galvanized? Is that what's actually the source of our unity, the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or is it these cultural characteristics? Because in many ways, if it's not the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his authority, if he's not the authoritative voice, and say it's um, my idea or my thoughts of what the church should be, or maybe the characteristics that I like and want to see replicated in other people, um, you know, or is it like preservation? A lot of a lot of us may be able to say, well, um, our church is looking to preserve a particular tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition at all, but it's always good to compare that is the lordship of Jesus Christ over our traditions. Or you can look at it as like rhythms, rituals, the routines that church has. Are we doing them in order to preserve uh, a cultural you know, component, or is it something where the Lordship of Jesus Christ is actually driving us and is the Holy Spirit inhabiting and indwelling our place of worship? Uh, so we can talk about like a church having a particular ethos or a particular feel, you know, 
this sense when you when you walk into a place. Um, and I think that that we can be driven by personal preferences, or we can be driven by the authority of who Christ is, His Word, um, looking to His Word for how we should function as a church, what we should do, and most importantly, what we should prioritize. Um, and so that's that's just where I think a, a be good to do a personal assessment or a community assessment of saying, how are we functioning? Are we functioning around the authority of who Christ is and his word? Or am I, is the church more like a social club for me because I feel comfortable there and because it preserves aspects, you know, of my upbringing and all that. You know, it's interesting that you you bring that because one common factor, I feel like in, in our churches, whether it's Pentecostal Baptist, um, is is the preservation, but uh, we tend to be more on the conservative side. We we don't like change. We're we're very opposed to it. We like to keep it how it was in the '80s and '90s. But I'm trying to look at the at the um, I guess at the opposite side where you have a lot of these churches who are not either they're new plants or maybe they're Americanized or uh, whatever it may be, but they are not held together by. Um, cultural similarities or traditions or or even um, certain celebrations that they've practiced because um, you have a melting pot of different cultures but at the same time they may not be held together by the lordship of christ and then what we see in those churches as opposed to ours is that they're hyper progressive where um, mm-hmm. they have this lo- they have a loose uh, moral foundation and um, they're they're basically submitting themselves to the times and what's relevant and what's woke and and what's going on. Where in our churches, I mean, God forbid, so you say something, they're they're super against it. And we're I mean, and, and listen, with these Romanians, we're all united against progressivism, against um, uh, homosexuality, against abortion. We're all united under those, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. Not because we're submitted to the Lordship of Christ and the Holy Spirit is in each and every single one of us keeping us together. No, maybe the unifying fact, as you mentioned, is the fact that we come from the same background and we're comfortable, like a social club, like you said. I don't know, is that something that you kind of can relate to? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, when you think about it, God created us to be sanctified and sanctification involves growth, transformation. Um, and change, honestly, it involves change. And so change can move towards the progressive. If you're not growing within the knowledge of Christ, within the word, if that's not your standard, then you lose some of those boundaries as those identifying boundaries and priorities that really define the church. And, um, you yeah, know, you find these progressive movements just because people are looking to experience that change, which can be good. The transformation and change can be good. The problem is, what are you changing into? So it's almost like one of those things. If you're, if you're craving um, change, there is no better than in the new creation life where Jesus Christ is transforming you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So if he's leading and guiding the change and the change is happening within the word of God and according to um, you know, how he's operating and he's leading and guiding, then that can be a good thing. Um, but I do think you're right. Some of these, some of these cultures or kind of subcultures that are popping up maybe are finding influence within secular culture because maybe we haven't modeled it within um, our communities to see what is what does it look like for us to under the headship of Jesus Christ, 
and to be following him, led by him, um, and allowing him to actually do the work in the church rather than us trying to initiate it again out of our preferences. So I look at it like preservation or proclamation. There's the preservation. Um, are you preserving your culture or are you seeking to proclaim the gospel? And certain preservation is important. It's like doctrinal preservation, you know, orthodoxy, um, you know, is, is very important. So some of these things, these nuances, you have to have to try to balance and discern. I think discernment is very important as we think through this. So thinking back, I feel like this, this, uh, this model of preservation worked for a certain amount of time. It worked for um, all the immigrants in the 80s and the 90s who were unified in the same language, in the same culture, uh, same career path, uh, same influences. Um, but I want to ask you this on, on your opinion, but I guess generally speaking, or even specifically if you want to go there, but why why are we having tension in our churches today? The churches that were uh, unified by culture, now, I'm not saying they were completely unified because, you know, some some churches had people who were power hungry, who were tearing each other down for their own power, for their own pride, their own agendas. That's different. But they were unified in the culture. But now we have young people today stepping up in, in, in our in our Romanian churches saying, oh, this is not how I worship. This is not how I connect to the body. This is not how I fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is not how I do all these things because I like this model better. So why are we why are we only now in this new generation uh, facing this conflict? Well, as an example, my grandma came and immigrated to America in 1977. I love my grandma so much. I mean, she prays for me, and um, you know, she's she's just one of the most amazing Christian people I know. And the thing is, she never, and she's, so she's been in America since 1977, but maybe you can relate to this, I don't know. But she never learned the language, and she never learned to fully assimilate into American culture. So really, there is a legitimate tension, I think, within the church in this fact that the churches have been developed, or a lot of, I guess what they've done is they've maintained um, environments, or they've maintained um you know, ways of fellowshipping to appeal sort of and to keep the older generation, you know, plugged in and attentive. And maybe they even have preferences. And, you know, maybe out of a good intention is, hey, we want to respect the elders in the church. And so we're going to keep the church a certain way. I think that's part of it. Um, and that's a legitimate intention. And you also have the fact that the pastors, um, the authority of the church, when they came here, they built a church or, or built a community in the way in which they knew how, the best mm -hmm. way they could. And preserving that language really ended up over time creating a rift, cultural rift between, and this is for me, I mean, I sense this in my own life. I always wanted to, when I was a youth in the church, I always wanted to invite my friends from school to church. You know, it was a big part of my life, but I couldn't, and I never felt comfortable doing it just because of the language. They could not have, they can't speak the language, right? So there was that rift. So that just, maybe that just like a hairline rift. But then all of these, these elements, cultural elements, you start feeling like your Christianity is divorced from culture. And so that becomes problematic. You think like, you know, there's an incarnational component to truth, meaning it should be embodied in a context. And, um, you know, it has to do relationally how we, 
communicate. It has to do even artistically because that incorporates music and other things. And um, and so I think that that though these can be there are some legitimate tensions in this, especially when we look at language and other uh, cultural factors where maybe um, the younger people in this generation just haven't really fit in. They don't they don't feel like they fit in in that sense. And so in a way, we have to decode what what is actually being done and being said. Now we have these translation devices. Even our church has started using translation devices for the younger uh, people. I think that's great. Um, and so there has been this rift. So that is sort of the separation we see, this cultural rift that has developed and has actually been sustained now for many years for the ones, for the churches that haven't moved towards incorporating English, for example. So you had mentioned that, and, and th- th- we totally agree on this, and um, I guess universally as well. Um, the the generation that immigrated here and founded these churches did so to the best of their abilities, and obviously they wanted to the church to grow and to to progress. They wanted they wanted success. Obviously, no one wants to to do that and fail. Um, however, over time, we saw that there was uh, a lot of hesitation. Um, amongst the you know the original the first generation the original community as far as change goes um why do you think there was so much pushback and obviously different churches progressed at different moments of time with certain amount of pushback but i guess say generally speaking why do you think there was so much pushback from that first generation who planted in the 70s and the 80s uh, right now, why do you think there's? Um, I guess on their side, we can address the other side as well, because I'm not trying to say that one side is bad and one side is not. No, there's there are things to learn from either side. But as far as the first generation goes, why do you think there was so much hesitation when it came to, um, you know, I guess expanding and stretching the language barrier or maybe something cultural? Uh, what is your opinion on that? I think there's a lot of factors in that. One of it, one of them being that in Romania. Um, they they existed as a subculture where they were being persecuted, right? So the outside world was seen as a threat, which induced fear within them, within a lot of people. And so when they came here to America seeking religious freedom, in a way, um, this fear of the outside world was maybe maintained to a degree. Um, because you did not want to assimilate, especially in Romania, you did not want to assimilate with the communists or those who were reporting on fellow brothers and fellow believers. Uh, that was a big issue. And so you, they came to America and there was kind of this, this rift, another rift that was created in a sense, let's not become like the world around us. Let's not become like the American. I heard this a lot. Let's not become like the American churches. Sometimes those like just you know, blanket statement, like, um, and again, there's some legitimacy, you know, to to that. But when you throw that blanket statement, in a way, what it does is it creates this separation where you fear assimilating to the culture around you. And so that that also plays into why we haven't uh, been able to grow or to change. Um, and you know, then you have for me the one of the big ones is the the language barrier, the fact that we didn't want to change the language. Um, that that was problematic for people to think that this is now a Romanian American church, or is it gonna become an American church? The idea is if you wanna go to American church, there's plenty around here. We're gonna keep our church a Romanian church. And if if, if that's done out of a sense of mission and vision, 
for reaching a particular community. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that there is, because you can keep a Romanian church and you could still meet the need and proclaim the gospel in your community, especially when you have, um, you know, big populations of Romanians. Um, but I think that, uh, that 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 place sort of you do have that fear. We don't want to become like the other churches. We don't want to become like the Americans around us. Now, I think that mentality has changed a little bit, but I, I do think that played or plays into some of why we've sustained uh, particular cultures for so long. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And I think there's a lot to learn from their their up, upbringing in, in Romania, even under a, um, a strict political regime. But uh, as we know, Romanians, for the most part, are very nationalist. They're very na- they're nationalists, essentially. Uh, they're very proud of their country, of their culture, even though they they have no like original food of what I heard. I guess they copied from everyone, everyone else. Influences for everyone else, but um, they're 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 so proud of where they came from, which is great. It's, it's there's nothing wrong as long as that doesn't lead you to sin in any way. Um, but I also feel like yes, they maybe they don't want to transition and uh, their church into like oh the Romanian American church and then eventually the American church. But um, I feel like there's a sense of nostalgia that runs through them, uh, mm-hmm. like losing this because they obviously they some of some are some of the families brought stuff some of the families came they as stowaways and you know with their clothes on their back so the the romanian church is all they have left of their previous life maybe their family their older family members passed away maybe they didn't have an estate over there whatever it may be um that church that community is all they have left of their previous life and losing losing that remnant means so much to them to the point where uh, maybe they're a little negligent of what's to come of the future generation and because uh, i mean i hear this all the time i'm like oh why don't you learn more romanian or why don't you teach your you know once i have kids teach your kids romanian i'm like i don't know if i'll be able to do that even if i wanted to um but i, I think there is a nostalgia factor and i think it is rooted even 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 though they, they came from a very i mean most of i mean my parents were born when the communism was around so they weren't they weren't before born before then and a lot of people in that generation like appreciate even those times despite how difficult it was um but i definitely see nostalgia being a huge factor in that and uh while it is good to keep some remnants um that factor cannot cloud our judgment when it comes to making future decisions for the benefit of the future generation yeah, if that, and I'm thinking about it now, if that nostalgia can help us tap into better understanding the rich heritage that exists and say it's like we're excavating the treasures of how God has worked in the past, his faithfulness, I think that can be a good thing. So like even our nostalgia can be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm nostalgic for these moments. Why? Because under persecution, um, sort of this pure faith emerged and these experiences emerged in which the spirit of God was real and working with power. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I even think that this might be a remedy. And maybe we could talk about this at some point um, that, that this rich heritage has a lot of valuable treasures in it. When we look back and we consider how God has worked in the previous generation, there's a lot of treasures that can be excavated where we can see and perceive faithfulness of God and his power, because ultimately the present exists because of the past. You and I are here because of our parents' journey and our grandparents' journey. 
Um, so yeah, that nostalgia is an issue, I, I do think, but I also think that we can redeem that nostalgia um, and leverage it and use it in a positive way to build people's faith and to edify. Absolutely, and hopefully we do. Hopefully we can use that as, we can weaponize it and use it as ammunition to kind of bring you know everything together. Um, but now kind of going on the other side, because we talked about the previous generation, now let's talk about the current generation. Um, obviously when you have conflict, it takes, you know, there's a saying that it takes two to tango, right? You have to, it takes two people to be awkward. It takes two people to have conflict or tension. Um, but for this newer generation, um, a lot of things that I've heard were, you know, I can't worship like this, or, um, you know, I guess at the end of the day, there's two different types of barriers that we see. And one of them is the language barrier, which is the obvious one. And the second one is a little more, uh, I say a little more nuanced, but it's the stylistic difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason I want to mention stylistic difference is because if we look at some of the bigger, more contemporary churches in Romania, they are much more, quote unquote, I guess, progressive stylistically than, um, than the churches that we have here in America, the Romanian churches that we have here in America that are much more conservative than they are. Uh, they've been more influenced by uh, the American churches, they've been more, quote-unquote, Americanized. So we have those two different types. We can't just say, like, oh, it's the Romanian language because they're still having services in the Romanian language, but the style is different. So I guess we can, we can I guess, tackle each of these, but um, why do you think that the younger... Let's start with stylistic. Why do you think that the younger generation cannot connect stylistically to the way that the older generation... Uh, does their church services and the, what what I mean is like the fanfara and the core the, the choir and the and the and the band and the the songs we sing and the the types of hymns we sing and I guess the service structure and 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 all that why do you think the younger generation can't really relate to that and why do you think they're so adamant by adamant to basically depart from that with music, I think um, music functions and hymns and worship songs function as sort of the soundtrack to a generation or a soundtrack to what we're going through, especially as we sing, you know, collectively as a body. Um, and maybe some of the songs, as I was thinking through this, maybe some of the songs speak more to a different experience of the past. Again, you may have one of the famous singers is Nicolita Moldoviano. Mm -hmm. um, he has particular songs that Baptists sing that are beautiful songs, words written, you know, in, in very tough and difficult situations. And they're minor songs, and maybe they're more, um, you know, sad, minor, um, uh, you know, they're, they're just different, right? And, and musically, they sound different. And so I think that that becomes an issue where maybe they can't, people can't relate to, to the song, either lyrically, could be lyrics again, um, so there, again, there could be legitimate reasons there, but here is the problem. Um, God created us as instruments of worship and not objects to be worshiped. Mm. So I think when we enter into the body of believers, we should come with this intentionality or this intention of I'm here to worship God and I'm here collectively with my brothers and sisters to worship God. And to some degree, we have to be able to sacrifice and say, um, you know, again, kind of the older generation prefers this. Well, I'm going to do it because I know that it's edifying them. Um, I'm also going to look at the word, try to learn them, try to be more 
uh, intentional in, in understanding the songs. So, so there are legitimate stylistic reasons, and then there could be selfish reasons where we just prefer this kind of music because I heard it on the radio and I like the song. And maybe you've been to another church and you say, well, this church sang this contemporary Christian song this way. Why can't we have that here in our church? Um, and so I've, I've been that person. I've had those complaints before. But I think that the, the best approach in this is you know, for, for our generation, again, it kind of ties into excavating the treasures of the past and maybe engaging in some dialogue. So here's like an example of, of what, um, I don't know if I'm going beyond the question, but we all want to be part of a story. We all want to be engaged and be used within a story, you know, in some sort of script or narrative. And, um, you know, these songs, I do believe they're kind of soundtracks to our lives, these worship songs that we sing. And so if we can engage what God is doing and ask ourselves this question, what is God doing in our church? What is God trying to do in our church? And just for, as an example, you may be sitting there in church and you may see this riff, man, there's the old people, there's the young people, few young people, more old people, but you may be the only young person in the church. And I think this may be helpful is to try to build channels of communication with people so that they understand your heart. So say I'm going to go and I'm going to sing a song, an English song. You know, maybe I have a I'm put it on the program for a song. Maybe go to some older people, let them know, hey, here's a song that I'm going to be singing. It's in English, but I want you to know ahead of time, here are the words to the song that I'm going to be singing. And this song means so much to me because this is what God has done in my life. And I think through those channels of communication, we can kind of open up um, again, open up to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do, not so much my is and, you know, my particularities of how I want the, the worship style to be. Now, do you think, because I heard a lot of people say, um, you know, this could be a stylistic issue, but I, I based off what I've seen, not only in, in scripture, but uh, even here in the church, that uh, sometimes... You know, the Holy Spirit, regardless of what style we, we prefer, should unite the body, right? If the Holy Spirit dwells in a person, dwells in you and dwells in me, we can have different styles, different upbringings, different cultures, but we still should be able to fellowship together as brothers in Christ as a part of the same body. Now, do you think there's also a, a spiritual component to this, to, the, to this divide, or I should say a lack thereof, where um, people are attracted to a certain style because they just... Like you said, they're selfish, they don't care, and they, they think this is how church they should be, and then they're just negligent and dismissive with any other type of worship. Do you think it could also be a, a spiritual thing? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Definitely. And, and again, we can come to Christ not because of the riches that he possesses. You know, it says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And maybe we don't see that lordship of Christ, and maybe we're just there um, for emotive experiences. We could be there to feel a certain way. We could be there because our friends are there. We like a particular boy or girl. Um, and then of course, you know, so there you have to question your motives. Why are you coming to church? You know, and then if you're not, if you're coming to church for the wrong reasons, you should not be complaining about the music when you hear it. So I think all of that comes to our, our heart when we enter into the fellowship of believers 
um, you know, to come in humility and to come with the intent of mutual submission um, and, you know, submitting to, and, and this is a, a big part of it is also the direction, the vision, the leadership of the church and how it's, it's communicated. And um, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah. And I definitely want to touch on that before, uh, after this next question I'm about to ask you, because I think having the same vision direction um, and I guess purpose for the church really matters when it comes to being together. But uh, before we tackle that, I do want to move on the on the second component, the language barrier, something that, uh, as you had mentioned earlier, you, you know, you being, uh, I guess, having your hands tied and inviting your American friends to church because you can't really bring them to your church because they're not going to understand. And I'm sure a lot of people have uh, had to deal with this as well. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on I guess, this, this new divisive, factor the the language barrier and you know why do you think people are i mean obviously we we can assume that maybe people are still holding on to it as part of the the remnant we were talking about the nostalgia factor or um, them not wanting to lose that um but what why do you think it's such an issue today having a language barrier in our churches well um We're, we, we as second generation Romanians are really kind of a transitional generation, meaning the challenges of assimilating to a culture, can, it can be difficult. And with that assimilation comes, if you think about it, if you're assimilating to a culture, you're becoming part of a culture, what's happening, the first thing in any um, you know, diversity of culture is you're going to have the language. That's the first thing, because the language is the mode of communication. You know, God gave us this amazing gift, words and laws of logic and all this, where we can communicate with each other and understand each other. And so it speaks to the heart of who we are as Christians and as human beings is that we have to, you know, God broke through space and time and he revealed himself to us. We have this concept of revelation. And it says, you know, in Hebrews, it says he has spoken to us in the past through the prophets, but in the last days, he has spoken to us to us through his son. The son, in a way, it says in Christ, the fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form. So Jesus Christ was the representation of, of God and the divine nature. And so God chose to communicate to us in a very clear way by wrapping himself in flesh and blood and communicating, talking to us in a language, you know, that we can understand, Aramaic and translations we have um, of Greek and Hebrew, specifically the Bible. So I think this, this, this is, a, it's an issue because it's an essential issue at the heart of who we are. So if you and I don't speak Romanian, well, imagine the third generation, imagine the fourth generation. So with each day and year that passes, we're sort of, that rift we said exists, if you're, if you're maintaining only Romanian language, that chasm is just going to get bigger and bigger. So, you know, that's, what, that's why I think the language is so important because it communicates to us. It's the way in which we learn the word of God. You know, if, you, if you're not able to um, read the, the verse that's projected um, or understand the notes that are being communicated. Some pastors will use notes. And if you can't read that because you don't speak Romanian, well, that is a hindrance. and It is a, a hurdle for you to truly understand and to know 
who God is and specifically his word, right? At the end of the day, it's about the word being communicated. If we don't understand the word, then that's a, a big problem. Yeah, I like that you said it was, it's, it's the, basically the mode of communication, the, the language, because I'm trying to imagine like a marriage where the communication is not good or, or rare or a relationship or a friendship or a, or uh, the relationship between uh, a, disip- a disciple and his mentor or whatever it may be, I'm thinking like, wow, maybe the now that we're, as we assess the health of our church, the spiritual health of our church, we can really bottle it down to the, the lack of communication where, I mean, frankly, the younger people are just not talking to the older people at all. I mean, there's no, like, we don't hear their stories um, and, and we, we're not... I guess we're not anxious to approach them. And at the same time, they're not really anxious to approach us. So it's kind of like we've become comfortable in this rift. And because there's no very little to no communication, we don't learn from them. Uh, we don't learn from their wisdom. And at the same time, they don't hear from us our feedback on on what we want or what our vision of the church may be. So I feel like having this language barrier contributes to the lack of communication, which creates the most antisocial social club we can think of, which breeds <laughs> for one of the most dysfunctional um, institutions that we can conjure up. And yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's just crazy to think that, wow, how, I mean, it, thinking about this right now, I mean, you've kind of like sparked a light bulb in my head right now. It is only by the hand of God and God's grace that our remaining churches are still standing today. Agree. If you really think about it, I'm like, wow, like if this were a, 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 a worldly marriage, it would have ended in divorce. If this were like a company, literally a company, a secular company, bankrupt. But it is God's, I mean, even if it's if it's through a remnant, you know, we see in, in, the, in, in, uh, in the letters uh, to the churches in Revelation where... Um, you know, the, some of the churches had like a small remnant of believers, of faithful people who were uh, really just holding it up, really bringing them al- the rest of the people along. And um, I mean, again, it's by God's grace that <laughs> this this lack of communication hasn't been our downfall yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, I married my wife is Romanian. She was born in Cluj, so she's a first generation. Um, I'm second generation. So she's been able to teach me the Romanian language. And first, when our kids were born, both of them, we spoke to them only in Romanian. So I've learned the language. And I, I want to be very clear. I don't think it's bad to have a, a Romanian church. I don't think having a, a Romanian church is the issue. I think that this is the most most important thing is meeting the needs of the people who are within the congregation you know, and, and first thing is the proclamation of the gospel to them, the teaching, the edifying. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, the language component. So, so churches need to find some sort of balance or have to meet that need in some way. Otherwise, like you said, if we're just keeping the, the same language, you know, first generation language, what's happening is we're just reinforcing the rift and creating it even bigger and bigger, you know, by lack, because like you said, they don't understand, and then they can't communicate either with anybody within the church. You want to have fellowship with somebody, you can't because you can't understand each other. Um, so there should be um, intentional bridges we're building between people and their fellowship, and then also in the proclamation or the teaching of the word within the church. Absolutely, and this is something pastors should, you know, they shouldn't take lightly, they should take seriously and really try to develop a system because 
the problem is with our man, even with our Pentecostal background, um, back in the day, it was a quote unquote sin to go up to the pulpit with notes. And they, I mean, they believe like, if you're not, you know, led by the spirit, you don't, you should, if you're led by the spirit, you shouldn't need all these different things and whatever. <laughs> and they believe that systems are wrong and, you know, you know, with the harfa and everything, which I mean, in essence, isn't, you know, wrong essentially, but, um, they're so hung up on these legalistic values that they can't really think outside the box. But as I was going to say, these leaders, our leaders today really need to develop systems, not to facilitate spirituality or holiness because you holiness is not something you facilitate holiness is is at the individual with that per, that person's personal relationship with christ however what you can facilitate through a system is communication because communication breeds healthy fill in the blank whatever it is so i think that's something that our pastors should really consider and and take seriously because um you know because that that's it is their responsibility before god to 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 really to really uh, handle handle the church and lead the church as well. But as we're talking about leading the church, this is a big one, and this is something that I've personally struggled with. Um, as we talk about vision for the future and the purpose and the direction our church is moving in, um, based off these stylistic and language barriers and cultural barriers or whatever it may be, based on these different things, we can see um, that sometimes. Um, that might come between uh, the two different generations as we're talking about. And uh, what what we may, I guess, what, what it appears to, to be is that maybe the older generation wants to preserve what they have and this new generation wants to progress. But sometimes when you have uh, differences of opinion uh, regarding this particular topic, um, it seems that one one party wants to progress and wants to grow the church and the other party wants to keep things the same, which is obviously not what we were called to do in Matthew 28. Um, but, but what insight can you provide on this when it comes to vision? How important it is it, how important is it for um, all members of the body to have the same, I guess, vision, the same direction and purpose for that particular church? It's absolutely essential because um, in any leadership team, if you want to create change or you see maybe there's strategic change, you are going to encounter... Um, opposition, and you're going to encounter people who don't like what you're trying to do. And so the, it needs to pour from the leadership. It says, you know, the idea is that leaders reproduce who they are. And a healthy leadership culture that is galvanized around the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where the leaders have come before the Lord and prayed you know, sought his face and asked this question, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? And how can I be a a piece of the puzzle in what you're doing? Then those leaders can implement change and in in a true leadership fashion say, this is how God is leading us. We know because collectively as a leadership and administrative team, this is the direction we're going. And, And that solidarity in a leadership team will help implement the change. Um, because everyone, you know, there's always that guy who, who doesn't like it or so-and-so said, you know, they didn't like that song. And then you take that feedback and you're like, oh, they didn't like that song. Well, maybe we shouldn't sing this song anymore. Maybe we should um, leave the pulpit there and not, you know, or whatever, whatever the issue is. Um, that changes are much more effective when they're made um, 
by a team that is united and a team that is led by um, obviously the Holy Spirit. So the changes can be done, but it's about having people around you um, unified in the direction and the vision of the church. And it is important to articulate that vision um, because whatever, again, however the leaders are, the church and a lot of times the congregation models, a lot of times if you have conflict with the leaders, you're gonna have conflict in the church. And, um, and so for the leaders to be unified, and to be to have this conviction and the confidence that they're moving in the right direction, um, that's very important. And that goes for each. Uh, this is individual with each community, each local body of believers. Leaders have to assess. They're the ones, you know, designed by God to administrate um, aspects of the kingdom here within the congregation and to lead and to equip. So, um, you know, I, that should be part of the mission. How well are we equipping people? Are we positioning our church in such a way so that people can come in, be plugged in, and then be equipped? Or, you know, people are not attending the church or find issues, um, you know, because, again, they're not able to understand the language or, or other things, cultural components. If those are hindrances and roadblocks, and they're just preferences, but they're hindrances and roadblocks, then you're not going to be able to effectively equip the saints. So that's something to consider, too, as leaders of the church, you know, think through this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even even, I guess, the the commands and script we have to follow from from Scripture on what the church should be. I mean, I, I follow I try to expand my horizons um, when it comes to the different types of leaders I follow on social media and and in the church network. But um, I, I mean, I see some faithful networks out there and and. And what they do is that you know they have one church and they have uh, you know they have a they have a team of spirit-led unified elders. You have a you know you have a teaching pastor, and obviously in our community it's a little different because we have multiple people, multiple people preach. However, conceptually it should be the same. We should have one. Maybe we have different teachers, but we should have one singular teaching. Uh, there shouldn't be one guy preaches this, one guy preaches something the opposite. And we see that a lot in our communities because there's no specific order done um but basically in those communities like yeah if you have one singular teaching you have others facilitate and then once that church grows and once you have like another just as qualified teaching pastor that guy goes and plants a church somewhere else and in that there they can really um you know fulfill the call and grow the church and um i and i and i've seen i've seen god work through that and it's it was fruitful you know you have multiple churches being planted and growing and and i know that uh there are certain pastors who actually open in in more quote unquote pagan areas of the country um where there's a lot of um you know demonic activity happening where there aren't a lot of churches it's easy to open a a church in dallas or a church in charlotte but it's hard to open a church in you know new york city or Sedona, Arizona, or, uh, you know, somewhere in, in Utah where you're bombarded with Mormons or, you know, that, that, that kind of direction. But um, from what I've seen is that, you know, and this is not everyone, obviously, but a lot of um, the first generation Romanians, for all the reasons that we discussed previously, are very hesitant to kind of adopt that model. 
And, you know, they claim like, oh, yeah, we, we're reaching out to the, the remaining Orthodox people that are in L.A. or something or in whatever metropolitan area, which is great. It's good. But I haven't seen many come to our churches. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, if I'm trying to count on my hand over the last 10 years, uh, I don't think that model is working very well. But um, at what point do we say like, hey, like to the leaders, we need to reevaluate this. At what point does our tradition and our culture um, kind of hold us back from fulfilling not what we should do, but fulfilling God's command. It's not about listening to the young people just because uh, we think they're they have better insight. No, it's about fulfilling Christ's command to go out to the ends of the earth and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and make disciples who eventually make other disciples, so the word may be heard to all the nations. Yeah, and that's a good question to begin with. How can we make disciples? Great question. Are we currently making disciples? You assess that um, as a church. Are we currently making disciples? What strategies do we have in place or what are we doing to actually make disciples? So, you know, sometimes you just begin with certain questions. Um, if you're not making disciples, then how can we begin making disciples? Um, and almost, uh, you know, I was part of a leadership team. I, I worked at an American uh, church um, for around two years and it was, it was very beneficial for me being in a, um, very tight leadership team um, where everything was discussed and thought through and we'd spend time talking feedback and talking, assessing various things within the church. What are we doing? Why are we doing them? How are we doing them? Um, and I really enjoyed being part of those conversations. They're very important conversations. It's kind of like awareness is really the, the path to or the gateway to repentance is awareness. In other words, God makes us aware of who we are in light of who he is, right? We got to have an authentic sense of who we, who am I as a believer? What, then you ask the question, who am I as a believer? What congregation has God called me to serve in? And then what are the needs within the congregation? And and it might not even be the leaders, obviously would like the leadership to do, to model all of this properly and to be part of it, but you may be in a leadership or you may be in a congregation where maybe um, you have to work a little harder to develop that relationship with the pastors and leaders. And that's okay, but you could still begin with some of these questions. Um, You know, what am I doing within this congregation? Am I being a disciple? Am I making disciples? Am I not? And then assessing. And for some people, look, the truth is for some people, it's fine. And I truly believe this. Not everybody is called to continue to help build and sustain and be part of this growth process uh, with Romanian churches. A lot of people are going to be called elsewhere. Um, and God may have a plan for them in a different congregation. But for those of us who are here, who are sticking it out and trying to be part of this positive change, you know, there's no doubt about it. Like you said, it's the grace of God and it's only um, God's sovereign rule and direction for the church that, that they're still you know, the churches are still functioning and they're together. And um, yeah, I think, I think he obviously holds the future, but we have to ask ourselves, you know, again, what are you doing, God? How can I be part of what you're doing? If I'm not contributing, you know, what do I need to change in my life? Um, what sort of resources in my life do I need to reprioritize so that I can be part of the building of the church? What part of my personality and, you know, what, uh, sins do I have in my life that keep me from having authentic, clear fellowship with the congregation, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, worshiping 
God, but you want to have that love of God, love of people. And uh, you want to be part of that authentic fellowship when you're in the congregation. So, yeah, and I think one thing that a lot, especially a lot of young people lack is um, is faith in in these uncertain times. We, like you said, some, you know, there there is a smallest percentage of people in our community who are called elsewhere, either in missions or maybe to a different church or a different uh, culture or whatever it may be. But for the most part, most of us are kind of sticking it through. And um, I guess the best way to kind of handle the situation, obviously, know your word, um, confess your sins, try your best to to live as you know as righteously as you can. Obviously, it's not good enough for salvation, but it's the righteousness of Christ that gives a, that basically is a gift of salvation. But um, have faith that even in this uncertain time, God's going to work through you and through your church. And I've personally obviously struggle with the faith part and just because i like to see what's in front of me i want to make sure um i I, ha- I see the next not only the next day but the next few days maybe next months years in front of me before i take a step and i mean what good is that i mean we all can do that i mean pagans can do that people in the world can do that but we serve a god who works in miraculous ways for his glory but he wants to use us and sometimes we have to take a step of faith or we have to not step and wait in faith and wait for for his hand yeah. to move and and it's difficult it's it's frustrating at times but um i think if we if we have faith and we wait it out um and our priority like you said we should we should reprioritize things that scripture tells us and we should make ourselves available um and not only living in a in a, in a way that god calls us to live but um serving in every which way we can if we if we're faithful in these small things then um, eventually, uh, we're going to reap the benefits of that, and we're going to see God working through us in in, um, in a, on a much bigger platform, whatever they that may be. And um, you know, I've seen that personally in my life, and I think it's 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 applicable to everyone who ha- who is faithful to the Lord, because He is so much more faithful, and He's going to work even through those times where we're uncertain and we're um, frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that if God has given someone the gift of awareness, recognizing what's happening around them, then probably he's going to also provide and equip you to handle that problem or be part of the solution to that problem. And think about it. To have awareness, you have to recognize where you are in light of who you are in light of who God is. But it presupposes you know who God is. Mm-hmm. So it presupposes you know his word, you understand who he is, his attributes. And then the work, saving work that he's done in you through Christ, say by grace, through faith, the righteousness we've received. And then I think that's a gift to have the awareness that God is working. He's working in you. And then the next step, you know, very practical step, maybe just, hey, Father in heaven, I'm plugged in here. I want to serve you. Would you not only thank you for the awareness, Father, but would you give me um, the discipline to steward the things that you've revealed and the resources that I have around me. Help me administrate um, and steward your, you know, the things, everything for your glory and for the benefit of your body. And I think that's, that might be a good, uh, a good starting point for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just having that understanding and that mindset would just, I guess, maybe put us at ease for this moment and, uh, and having that God given peace that he's promised us through Christ 
um, you know, in, in, in these faithful steps we take. But uh, Chris, as we as we wrap things up uh, with this episode, I know we've talked a lot of, a lot of problems and potential problems, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe negative things that we can kind of pinpoint in, in, uh, in this structure that we call our community. But um, I guess, I guess as, a, as, a, as a sort of a send off or a final statement or remark, uh, what's I guess how can you encourage the the young people today? Just because I guess demographically it's mostly the young people who are listening to this, um, not so much the older generation. Maybe because of the language barrier, I don't know. Uh, but how can you encourage the young people today to be faithful um, in this moment? And how would you instruct them generally to continue to pursue fellowship with uh, pursue fellowship to understand? Uh, the the first generation that kind of planted us here? I would say trust the sovereignty and the providence of God. So you are where you are because he determined the family you would be born in. He determined the boundaries and the, the place, the geographic location you would be in. And so begin by worshiping him and thanking him for his sovereignty and providing you the opportunity to be alive. And, think, and the thing is, community is really, that's the grace of God. It's a gift too. So many people don't have community, would love to have community and people to have fellowship with. So recognize the providence, sovereignty of God, and then appreciate and be thankful for the people that God has put in your vicinity and in your proximity. And if you're thankful for that and you, you ask God to give you this spirit of servant, of service and servanthood, um, then I think, I think that he will open doors for you. And I think that he will open, um, you know, opportunities for us to actually be the solution. Um, and, you know, it's, the, it's faith. Faith is ultimately tested. On every level, we're tested. On the level of our imagination, God tests us. Um, on the level of our will. Um, and so the thing is to, to submit, and again, comes back to sort of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want Lord Jesus Christ to be Lord of my mind, my imagination, my thoughts, um, the totality of who I am. And when you submit to that Lordship, then you go into an environment and you say, how can I just, you know, be an agent of the kingdom here in this context and in this circumstance? And God will, will empower us because, you know, it says the manifold wisdom of God is to be reflected and represented through the church. So we are, you and I are that church. And there's a piece that's kind of like a diamond, one angle, you know, depending how you view it. And, you know, you don't want to get to one side of the, of the diamond. That, oh, it's scratched and uh, muddled up. You want to, all of us, wherever we are, in whatever circumstance, for us to be authentically representing who Christ is. And that's all that's really expected, <laughs> You know, it's just allowing Christ to work in us and submitting our lives to him as an act of, ultimately, as an act of worship. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, thank you so much, Chris, for, for the encouraging words, for the insight, for uh, just the edifying episode. I, I, I say, I mean, I, I feel like I say this to every single person, but um, I just, I think this episode was so relatable to certain people. And a lot of times, you know, I've met a lot of people who have maybe certain frustrations, but sometimes they can't put it to words or they can't really uh, put it into thoughts, and um, which again breeds more frustration, like exponentially when they can't. Like that's why babies cry, right? They're frustrated and they can't communicate, so they cry. But 
when when they can't uh, understand what's going on and they're just experiencing all this conflict and tension, they just really brings the morale down, especially for a young person who is not spiritually mature yet. But hearing this, understanding the differences, uh, not only portrays us as more human than we originally thought we were, but it it allows us to kind of relate to one another to say like, okay, at the end of the day, we're all the same same creation. We just have different backgrounds, and we have to see that in in each other so that we can grow. Uh, and we have to relate to each other and understand that, hey, we go through the same struggles. It may, I guess, it may be, it may manifest in different ways or be portrayed in different ways, but we're we're the, we're the same, you know, we're the same sinner who has been granted sainthood and priesthood by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, by yeah. grace through the faith that we have in Him, and and that is so encouraging, regardless of styles we prefer or languages we worship in. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all going to be worshiping. In, in the common tongue of, of the heavenly language, whatever that may be, uh, and regardless, we'll understand each other. So uh, thank you, Chris, so much for, for being here and just shedding light on this uh, very um, relevant topic. It's a privilege and an honor. Thank you. And uh, if people want, if people out there want to um, find you on the internet, uh, social media, or whatever you want to provide, uh, where can they find you? Just Chris Simonka. Um, C-R-Y-S it's spelled C-R-Y-S and then Simoka I have just basic Facebook and Instagram nothing fancy <laughs> and if uh, just just in case people might have more questions you know uh, I'll definitely sure. I'll, t- I'll definitely tag the Instagram we got an Instagram account so I'll tag the inst- Instagram account um, the, the handle over there uh, in case people have that so uh, thanks again and thank you all listeners for tuning in I know it's been kind of um, you know on and off a little bit just you know, there's there's a lot that's happening. There's uh, you know, you get busy, and once you kind of get out of the rhythm, things kind of go that direction. So, uh, thank you for your patience, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you can follow us on our Instagram account for any and all updates at the Potter's House. Also, streaming, uh, we have multiple platforms, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts, uh, both of which have a way where you can tap five stars. Uh, really helps with the exposure of the show. And uh, Apple Podcasts also has an additional feature where you can leave a written review if that's something you'd like to do. I would also read that out loud on the subsequent episode. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, for your patience, for your prayers, for your encouragements. I really appreciate it, and we will see you next time.